Hey, everyone. Happy to have you here for another episode of Legacy Matters. Today, as usual, we will talk about whatever comes up with a slight leaning toward discussions of preserving your legacy, preparing for things to come, and sharing stories we find amusing. Okay. Right, you guys are chuckling as I oh, as I yes. fired this up. We're we're rolling. Okay, Me the too. steam's coming out of it. Yeah. Let's uh Jim, why don't you why don't you do the introductions today? Uh well we have Patrick here today. Um, you forgot to introduce yourself. Oh, I see. We always start going. like I always started off we it's like every single time I have to remind him how this works. Like hi everybody, it's Sam again. <laughs> hi everyone, Jim here. <laughs> Patrick, why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey, well, it's an honor to be here. Thank, yeah, thank, who do we have today? Yeah, thanks for we, having me. Patrick Pryor. I'm an artist and a painter, sculptor. Gallery owner. Gallery owner. And, here in uh, Minneapolis? In, in a recent Minneapolis transplant. Ah, where were you from? Yeah, from Michigan right. originally. Okay. Lived for five years in New York and have been here 15 years. Yep. That's yeah. recent? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I'd say you're native at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 15 years, just right. new to town, aren't yep, you? Yep, right. it still feels that way. Yeah. Um, what part and of Michigan? Sam, you're here. Yeah, I, I mean, yep, it's me, Sam. All right. I'm back. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, that guy who talks a lot. That's great. <laughs> um, what, so uh, this this part of Michigan is where I'm from here. Oh. I was, it was in um, Miami um, just a few weeks ago and met another artist who's from Grand Haven, Michigan, and he actually has a tattoo on his hand, on the right side of his right hand right here. Because, just a dot? Yeah, a little yeah. dot. Like that's, <laughs> his, that's his birthplace. And that's his only tattoo, is just this little dot right there. Because, you know, when you're from Michigan, this is our map, you know, yeah. people hold up the right hand. And, right. And there's the other half up here, you know, sure. the upper peninsula there. Sure. So I kind of like that. It's great. Yeah, that's so great. Cool. You know, someone's from Michigan. You know, and right. you need to do that. Sometimes I get a high five. Right. I'm like, I'm from Michigan. So I did this. You know, held yeah. up my hand, and someone said, "Yes," and yeah. gave oh me a slap. My, like the secret. I think Masons. Or yeah, but, but they weren't from Michigan. They just thought I was going up for the high five. Oh, okay. you know what I'm saying? They just. <clears throat> I do. They, they were like, "Yeah, from. high five, Michigan." Like, oh yeah. <laughs> they were like from Indiana or something. They didn't oh know. My gosh. So yeah, great to be here, you guys. Well, thanks for coming in, Patrick. So. Yeah, we've given you the uh, the full rundown of how loosely organized our podcast is, and kind of the the ins and outs of what we talk about and don't talk about, which is pretty much nothing and mm-hmm. everything all at once. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, uh, fifteen years in Minnesota from Michigan. Michigan is not the same as Minnesota culturally, but it is Upper Midwestern. Right. But it's not quite like i find a lot a lot of very clear similarity with wisconsinites and north dakotans and south dakotans mm-hmm. you know pretty much um iowans but then you start getting over toward illinois and michigan it's different and, and michigan's kind of doing its own thing yeah you know like upper michigan i think you're going to find a lot of similarities to minnesota yeah, I, and wisconsin totally but like the lower half you know near detroit right. Yes. It's a totally different world. It's a different vibe over there. Definitely a different vibe, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we're, the, we're the Motor City. Yeah. You know, we invented the automobile, and we've got these... Motor City these madman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know that we really want to um, identify with him, but... With the nudes? We, we don't know what to do with him. Or Kid Rock, you know. Right. Or yeah. Eminem, I mean... They're all Detroit. God, you're right. And Kiss, though, did Detroit Rock City. Yeah. So that's a plus. Mm -hmm. Kiss is a a plus? Well, I think so. I mean, but I also think I I might think Kid Rock's a plus. So so maybe I should just take (laughs) that. And I'm fine with the Eminem. And Motown Records, you know? Right. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of things. It's a rock and. I don't even know half of it. It really is. What's that high end. Record player Hi. making is it Shinola? Oh, Shinola is yeah. it Michigan? Yep. It is Detroit. It yeah. is. Yep. Mm-hmm. I like which that is stuff. pretty cool. It's very cool. Yeah, very cool. And they're you know they're having a resurgence of of activity and development downtown. Right. Well, and the arts. Yeah, which I know nothing about. And I haven't been there in so long. Right. Right. It's really fun to go back well, and just see all the well, amazing but things. But you only recently moved here. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So how did you get here, Patrick? I um, I 
I have a degree in environmental engineering, and I came here on a field trip mm-hmm. as a freshman. And we came to see the freshman in high school, freshman in college, college. Yeah. So I was, you did I was field in trips in college. Yeah, I was I was in the upper peninsula in yeah. Houghton, Michigan. Oh, I love. And I love so I was Houghton. a member of like some organization. Yeah. Know, like some, you know, environmental engineer organization. And okay. So, so they did this trip. Yeah. To visit. I think it was like the main wastewater treatment facility for Minneapolis, probably. Right. And then a smaller one. Maybe it was. I don't know where it was, but it was a smaller one that was actually composting the sludge. Yeah. And to me, that was like, that was amazing, right? They're doing an amazing thing. They're selling it back to farmers. Right. So we, we did that. I came to the Mall of America, and I'm like, this place is really, really amazing. Yeah. Like, you know, growing up near Detroit, uh, you know, we didn't go to Detroit. It, was, we, it was, didn't feel safe. Sure. But, but it felt very safe going to the, you know, the downtown here. It, it yeah. felt like a small town with a lot of... A lot of big city energy. And mm-hmm. so I kind of fell in love with it that year. It was like maybe like 1992, 1993. Okay. Just like it made an impression. Right. And so when it came time to like, well, where am I going to live after I graduate? Right. Uh, my girlfriend and I, we found jobs here in the Twin Cities and moved here right out of college. Yeah. So I fell in love with <laughs> Uptown. I discovered that. Like it was cool back then. You know, it, like it was a really fascinating place. Right. So just yeah, it, like... Absolutely. I mean, that's our world was was down yeah. there too. Yeah. It, was, so it still probably, is, to be you fair. You probably remember Filio. Restaurant. I remember. Oh, absolutely. I, that was like one of the places bartender. where I would go. Bartender. I'd go yeah. hang out at Filio. So you yeah. probably yes. served me. Like yeah. I literally always go to the bar, and like you could always just talk to the person next to you. And yeah. And there you go. It was a great like a great place. Ninety two. Like, well, I wasn't working there then. No. No. Where were you working? Well, and you were up in Houghton still. Yeah, this would have been 95. like 98, 97, 96, 98, that, that time period. You know a bunch of people or, or whatever. You would have been there when my wife was there during her first stint. Okay. I, we came back in 2002 is when I okay. worked there. All right. So All right. a little later. But, I right. mean, that, that place didn't change much from no, no. the early 90s yeah. through when yeah. I was there. The whole area, all the lakes. I know. Love at first sight. Okay. Yeah. So you, you guys move here. You're here. Mm-hmm. And... Obviously, so you and I have known each other for a while, so yep. I kind of know a little bit about your backstory. But right. um, how did you? This, I mean, how did you enter into the art world? That's what I was going to ask. You said you went to Houghton, <laughs> which I yeah, this I is beat so, you to the uh, yeah, punch finally. My, my so that fi- was, after you know, all these podcasts, I finally beat Sam <laughs> to the question. Well, you know, when you when you're a young person and you're growing up in this family that doesn't have any exposure to the arts. Like my only exposure to the arts was going on a Cranbrook, you know, to the Cranbrook Institute in yeah. you know, near Detroit on a field trip to see modern art. And, mm-hmm. and it was amazing. But my exposure was very, very low. My father was an artist. He was very good. He had that mimetic skill. Like he could draw what he saw. He could, yeah. he could do cartoons and illustrations. So did my grandfather. So I, so I had that. I always did super well in art. Did they class. make a living as artists? No, not at all. So, no. I mean, that wasn't even an idea. It wasn't even a concept. It wasn't he just a, could draw. It wasn't even a possibility. Right. So it was like natural that I became an engineer because that's right. just what you do. You, you know, like yep. that was the expectation even of my family. Even with the artistic yeah, even with the, lying in the background. Oh, absolutely. Sort of, yeah. It was literally in the background. Yeah. Like, it wasn't even encouraged as a hobby. It was just like something I could do. Sure. You know, just yep. like anything Which, else. It was just something I could do. And... I really like just I think you know it was after my mother passed away mm-hmm. when I was 22 I think that like it shook me a little bit yeah right yep. I mean it shook me a lot yeah and you start to you start to As maybe well rearrange your values and you start to question why am I doing what I'm doing right and so so once that questioning started to start I think that I started being more creative because I found mm-hmm. that I was a very creative person and I needed that outlet outlet I needed yeah. that outlet. Like, like I was opposite of environmental it engineering was absolutely the opposite of environmental engineering and like all through my my college career I kind of knew that that was going on but I didn't like what options did I have right. right I didn't have anything like I didn't have some hidden dream or some you know something that was that was there but it, it sort of came out, you know, like this, it was like, wow, I really need to do something creative. I need to write. And I was writing lyrics and poems and drawing and painting. And, and it kind of came to a, came right. to a head at some point. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, it, and at the time I had already you know, moved away from Minnesota, moved to New York yep. uh, because I knew I wanted something different. Right. I knew I wanted to do something, you know, 
I, know, I ended up being a, like an environmental educator. I did science. So that sort of everybody thing. wanted to move to New York. I mean, like, I remember oh, that being a huge so fun. thing oh. that everybody talked about when cause I graduated around the same time. And it was just one of those things like, well, of course, we're going to have to move to New York at some point, right? Yeah. For a little while, at least. Absolutely. Like, and struggle and kill cockroaches and <laughs> like, you know, whatever. I mean, it was just like this thing you had to do. So I never did it. But. I think it's interesting, though. So you're in New York, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is the art hub basically. Mm-hmm. So are you visiting galleries at this time, looking at art too? Well, at that time I was still a newbie. Yeah. Still like didn't even know that I could be doing that. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and then, so I think I saw the movie, I mean, this is, it's so silly, but I saw, uh, Ed Harris playing Pollock yes. in that movie. Yep. And you know, I've always, <laughs> and since then I've had a love hate relationship with the work, but but you know, like here's this, here's this guy, and he just he's just flinging paint, right? And <laughs> sounds like and my, I, my buddy across the way here with his airbrushing and stuff, right? Like, <laughs> and just, it's not airbrush. And I had this, and I had this like this moment where the threshold became very low, right? Right. Oh, from watching that movie. From watching that yeah. movie, I'm like, okay. You know, if Peggy Guggenheim can recognize this guy as an artistic genius, right. and he's doing that. Yes. Then, then, like, what's what's stopping me from doing whatever ideas I have? Right. So uh-huh. I remember, like, the next day coming home, and this I was living in upstate New York at this yep. time, and I came home from I went to Home Depot and came home with gallons of paint and, mm-hmm. and got a bunch of plywood and just started started slinging it, and that yeah. opened up something right. for me. You right. know, like I, I didn't find that you know doing work like Pollock was rewarding, but but it opened up something for me. So when you're doing this, that's awesome. I mean, are you doing it outside? Yeah. Inside? At the time, it was outside. Okay. It was outside of my backyard. Sure. So you're not. I mean, you didn't go to art school. I didn't go to art school. Right. You're just like totally in it. You're like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. So then I started getting some some traction because I, I started to um, submit works to juried shows and mm-hmm. to galleries in Ithaca. And Ithaca is a great place to become an artist. I, because Have you guys ever no, been there? I don't, no. I don't know it's this part now. It's this little tiny like hamlet in upstate New York. It's mm-hmm. at the base of Cayuga Lake. Yeah. And it's it's just full of gorges, beautiful waterfalls, and uh-huh. it's a very picturesque landscape. And you have Cornell University, you have Ithaca College. So you have it's a college town, right? And and they have their own currency. They have the Ithaca dollar, and I'm not sure if they have it anymore. But <laughs> but, <laughs> but oh, there've been there've been currencies here in Minneapolis. Yeah, too, like the sure. the Utney Reader did a story on on like the top 10 enlightened cities in the, in the nation yeah. and and Ithaca was number 1 and that was what made me move there actually wow so you know so 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 art is very valued you right. know intellectual pursuits sure. is very valued and so so that was that was where it started and so I, I remember selling my first piece in a coffee shop yeah. and i think that was the moment where i thought wow i guess like it's it's you know like, it like is possible. that that whole that whole loop of like making a work and right and then having somebody buy it, and this was a piece I did live in the in the coffee shop. Like we made a big oh. event out of it. So, had, so yeah, right. So it was an event. Yeah, yeah. yeah we had a couple yeah, guys in their masks making electronic music, as the artists like to say. Exactly. You know. Yeah. So that's what did it. It gave me this taste of like, wow, creativity. I could, I could keep keep doing that. And so then after that, I ended up moving back to Minnesota. Yeah. How did that look like? I mean, so so you sell this piece in a coffee shop. Right? I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, when an artist does that, it's like, whoa, you right. know, I got some money Is yep. it, I, for my I creation. Yeah, I wouldn't you know? know. Well, you kind of know. I mean, look at you build your one-agains, too. Yeah, you know? only family it's, buys them. Well, I'm just kidding. You know, keep the dream alive, okay? Keep the dream it's, alive. It's all right. Wanigan people. Right. Um, but, you know, so, yeah, I mean, that's... All I'm, all I'm getting at is, like, because I went to Bemidji State, which is, there's a lot of art students at Bemidji. It's one of the, the things that happens up there. And, and there was always art in the coffee shops. And right. I didn't, I wouldn't, like, I like buying people's art mm-hmm. because I think it's all... I just really appreciate that endeavor that people go through. But like, like I can imagine that's a big day. Is it, is there a difference between like, I sold my stuff in the, in the coffee shop for 25 bucks or I sold it for 250 bucks. Like, is there, is there sort of a point where you're like, holy crap, this actually 
people appreciate this because they put out some real cash for it or or does it not really matter does it matter if it's 10 bucks or well i think you know i think the feeling is the same right feeling the same no matter how much somebody pays for the work and to make it all work like you know to make my life as an artist work I, I couldn't do it without people supporting me in major ways you know i yeah. could not do it without people supporting me by buying a lot of work or by you know by by being supportive in whatever way they are i mean like my That's whole awesome. career i've had people yeah come up and be supportive and so we've talked quite a bit i mean you and i have talked because uh i didn't necessarily i wasn't formally trained as a painter mm-hmm. either that's what i find interesting you know? and yeah that, and that that's why that, that's why you and i have you know i mean we find each other interesting i think sure. you know um right talk quite a bit about that i mean so for those of you that don't know i mean i patrick you are successful here you know and nationally i mean you you have people collecting your work you have you know commissions before we even start recording i mean you're working on a piece right now mm-hmm. large large scale sculpture actually yeah right? so like so people you do seek painting you out and to make sculpture. art yeah it's amazing yeah that's awesome. absolutely <laughs> right awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean it's the dream it's the impossible dream in in a lot of ways in, that's in, how it feels yeah, yeah. For, i mean for artists especially right mm-hmm. that's I, yeah, I was struck by that, and that's—I don't really know how I, I'm—I was struggling to say what I was trying to say. It's not a monetary value thing. I get that, but like, there's so many places where art is displayed, and whether you like it or don't like it, I—I I don't really know, and I don't know what would make the difference between this one's going to become successful and that one's not. I—it doesn't register with me. I just know when I like the art, mm-hmm. and. Both of you have been relatively successful, you know, if not quite successful in mm-hmm. in art. And but right off the bat, you went to engineering school and you went for design like right. very exactly. little. Like it seems to me that that it's not necessarily the there isn't a recipe to get into art that's, right. that guarantees success. It seems to me like art schools might be charging a little extra for something that <laughs> you know might not be relevant so it's that's interesting because of, let's get down to brass tacks Shush, shall we? <laughs> i mean yeah i feel like i feel like i'm self-educated but i look back and i'm like of all the time that i've spent painting i still stand in front of a canvas and, and i say well, all right what How can i what are we doing here right i don't feel like i'm any better armed right and you know what I mean? I, oh, yeah. In, in, in my work in particular, I feel like I'm, I know, sort of constantly beginning again. Right. And and that's You've kind of an, an important that. part of my process is sort of like approaching in a naive manner. Right. And, you know, it, sometimes I wonder, have I learned anything? And, you know, yes or no, I guess it doesn't really matter when I approach no. a painting, like how much I've learned or how much I've, how much like, like uh, art uh, theory I've studied or how much I've read or how much, how much other art I've seen. Right. At the end of the day, it doesn't seem to matter much. I'm still going to experiment sort of move sort of. on, like move my brush the way that I'm right. inclined to do or the right. way that I'm sort of compelled to do. And I'm going to make and my that mark. Comes down to instinct. I think, I believe it does, you know, trust your instinct. And actually that's what we were talking about. The three of us before we started recording too, is just even like the app. You know, mm-hmm. like oh sure, you know, trusting gonna, your trusting gonna, your instinct, trust your instinct, and mm-hmm. you know, you just kind of do it. Yeah, I mean, on that very specific topic, I never had a doubt. Like, like day one when you and I came up with everything, and then I started. So I'm not a, I can't, as far as I know, make art on canvas like you guys do like i can't work yeah, in but that you're medium. a builder though i mean I'm everything a builder. is art and you that's know? why I, that's why i qualified it that is. way because it's not like i i feel like working with you has allowed my artistic talents to flourish a little more than they had in the past um but but my artistic talent isn't me grabbing a paintbrush right and oil paints and standing in front of a canvas and doing something that's just not where it is i don't even have a i like I don't have a passion for that and I don't have any I'm cluelessly lost in the woods somewhere if, if that happens yeah you, you guys seem like you know you're you're reacting to what comes and then you're and then you're you know you're reacting creatively to the problem as it presents itself yes and the writing right. the writing was what came easy to me 
right? Mm-hmm. So like you're a very the, creative writer. So the minute we had a, the idea, I was able to craft the narrative that described mm-hmm. what the idea was in a way that let other people in, mm-hmm. which is its own talent, right? I mean, that's, right, absolutely. You know, and when With, you say the idea, you mean the, uh, the legacy app. I yeah, the Andal and I. Yep, the, and we did call it Legacy for for a long time. And the first I keep calling it Legacy. Yeah, well, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, because it is a legacy app. It's it's more but, of a tool to right. to preserve your legacy and stories. But when when you told me about the app, the first thing I thought of was one of like my greatest experiences that I've had was like not necessarily an artistic one, but it was something where someone came to me with an idea, right. and then I got to react to it. Um, what, like, like I said, my mother had passed away when I was 22 and then like 13 years later, my sister calls me up and she's like, you know, I think we should bring mom, her ashes right, yep. to Tahiti right. where our parents met. Yeah. Did I tell you that story? You did. You yeah. did. But that's a great, No, I haven't heard it. Great. This is a, yeah. It was, it yeah. was like just one of the most life-changing, amazing events because... You know, our mother had passed away. We'd been through all this this grief, you know, and my sister had done a lot of reading on the stages of grief. And she, when she called me, she's like, she's like, I think one of the stages is joy, you know, and I, n- I never looked it up. But she's like, you know, I haven't felt any of the joy quite yet. Right. She's like, but I'd like to. Seems so, counterintuitive. The it kind of does. It kind of does. Clo- like, are you close or were you close? I mean, do you guys? We're, we're six years apart. She's a younger sister. So when we grew up, you know, she, you know, I was always teasing her and she was always getting in my in my stuff. And right. But especially after our mother passed away, we became very close. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so there was already a closeness when she called me and suggested this, right. such that I was like immediately like, yeah, like, you know, I mean, my, our mother was in an urn, in a vault, in the ground, in a cemetery, in oh. in suburban Michigan. Right. So you so, really went to go get her. So we really went to go get her. And so yeah. so it was not just a trip to Tahiti with mom. It was mom. It was like on the mantle. No, it wasn't just sitting on the mantle. So we actually had to like go stay with our father in Livonia, Michigan, and uh, you know we walked to like a couple miles to the cemetery. You know, called it was a big production to get somebody yeah. get get some remains exhumed from the ground. Yeah. You know, they were very yeah. reluctant to to work with us, but right. you know, but it was you know it was our we bought the plot. It was our mom, and so right. we said, you know, we, we would like to we would like to to visit. dig her up and yeah. take her away. Yeah. <laughs> <And> right. So, <laughs> right. And so it was this this wonderful epic trip that, wow. that you know sort of. Uh, you know that that journey that we were on sort of supplanted all the other, like the the hard times and the and the memories that we had had associated with her passing. Right. And so it created a new legacy for us. So now the legacy is this is that, trip. Is that journey? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Where, where she was seven months pregnant with her first son, and and I was carrying the urn in a bag, and and we went and spent a week in in uh, Tahiti. Wow. Yeah. Because that parents, is awesome. You know, no, it's super awesome. It's, That's a yeah, so her idea was that since our parents met there, like that was like sort of an origin point. Yeah, right? no, was I like, totally get it. That was like they didn't know each other, and it was very romantic. Yeah, you know, my dad was a tour operator, and she was a stewardess, and they just they met at a luau, and oh my god, it's were, perfect. You know, they were married three months later, and three months later, yeah, three months later. So wow, very so romantic. It, so it had all this magic, and it had existed only as a story for us. So we right. wanted to just go there. And so it's just you it. and your sister that took your mom then? Yes. Okay. Yep. And my little nephew in utero. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, so you actually had four people yeah. on the flight. Exactly. But, you, but only two paying customers. Exactly. <laughs> like we, we, definitely, we definitely were paying attention to that. Gamed the system a little bit. Right? Know? Yeah. Gamed yeah. the system. <laughs> just That's so right? stupid. One before being born, but yeah. still, right. but then, still present. one after and one after, after dying but still physically present yeah you know that i mean it's really cool quite, I, i'm i'm making quite interesting it is it yeah. is interesting when you think about it though. and so of course here i am with this pregnant woman right who everyone thinks is my wife and after a while we just were like whatever we just stopped <laughs> yeah telling yeah. people the story we're like just thank you thank you yes i am very proud and yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know congratulations you know yeah right and of course you know like she was treated so well because she's pregnant in Tahiti. Sure. i mean they just revered her and, and mm-hmm. we got upgrades and we got treated so so well and and we sort of reserved our our you know we didn't think in advance about where we wanted to eventually leave, you know, leave her remains. Yeah. Yeah. So we were just kind of waiting for this time and waiting for this, waiting for it to show up. 
Yeah. And that's that sort of, you know, um, moment. Right. You know? Just waiting for that moment. And we got, it was when we got, we got this unexpected upgrade to a overwater bungalow. Uh-huh. Which we weren't expecting at all. Like they, we thought we were just getting like a tour. Like here's here's the other amenities available, and then they sort of like they they showed us around, showed us where all the light switches were, right? And then um, you know showed us the view, and then showed us the coffee table that you can see into the reef, and and then as he was leaving, he's like, "Enjoy your stay. You got upgraded." And uh, and then we looked out onto the reef, and we thought, "Okay, this is where we're now. Gonna, we know this is where we're going to do it." So yeah. so we got a kayak from the hotel. And practiced getting my pregnant sister in and out of the kayak, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. on the open water. Yeah, a little danger there. So, <laughs> God, it was great. It was really great. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Patrick, that's so. So when I think of your app, I think of things oh, like that, man. and I think of like you know, preser- well, preserving stories in that manner. Yeah. Well, so the, and the preservation kind of, of that story. Exactly what it's about. Yeah. It, it it includes it touches on all the things, right? I mean, right. And, and this was one of the first narratives that I wrote talked about kind of the life of people and and their trips and sort of the journey of things and and the app itself was conceived around the idea that we should be telling the story of of objects really right Mm -hmm. which i mean there's a lot of ways to tell your family history your lineage these other things but but uh the the story of objects and is is a whole nother thing so you guys Going down there, it touches on everything. You've got places you can add. It was the it, it itself. The trip down was an event. Mm-hmm. It relates to certain objects, the whether it's the urn or you know things that certainly the urn. Yeah, it was a very important object. Yep, it's people both living and deceased, which is just a you know these are things that exist within our app because it's not just another user. Your mother doesn't have to be another user to exist in, in, in the, yeah, the memory so. of your life. She is a person mm-hmm. who is a, a person in your memory, and she's related to this place. So now you can tell the story of, of your father and she meeting. You can pin the place where this happened. You can pin the place where you released her ashes back into the world. You can tell the entire story. Your nephew can be in there. It's all related so that if people ever care to... Like if your nephew ever cares to know what his first trip, even though it was in utero, was all about, the entirety of the story is located in one sort of easily manageable place. And and I just told my sister about the app recently, and she just went crazy because did she really? Oh, absolutely, because it's been now. Well, you know, it was in '96 when my mother passed, and and since then we've been dealing with her stuff. Yeah, because she oh, had yeah. she had a lot of stuff. She was quite a collector, mm-hmm. and and there was a lot of stuff that was important to her, and a lot of stuff that was important to us because it was important to her. Yep. And I mean, an unbelievable amount of stuff. I mean, there was like a little path in our in our basement that you could go through amongst yeah. all these antiques. Yeah. She wanted to have an antique store someday, but but the the thing that my sister and I eventually realized is that like, we didn't want to have the same relationship to stuff that our mother did. And we didn't want to like clutter our own lives with all the stuff because it was hers because it didn't necessarily mean anything to us. So we eventually uh, would sort of ritualize this process of getting rid of stuff by um, going through it together for one and then taking a photograph of it so that we could like, Remember yeah, it because it. oftentimes we just wanted to remember the thing. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. we would take a picture of it. We would use a um, use a you know a, a handheld uh, tape recorder yep. to record mm-hmm. the sound it made, depending God. on what it was. Or or we'd talk about You're it. You're killing me with this. You know, <laughs> yeah. And we'd, we'd record a video of us holding the thing, telling a story. Right. And then sometimes we would ritualistically destroy the object depending on what it was. Right. Yeah. Sure. And because we were like so like it was cathartic to sometimes yeah. destroy some of these things that were. Were sort of meaningless, but we were holding on to them, right? Right. It's and, a purging. And so, and so, like you know, had we had the app, I think we would have used it for that purpose because we, it's one of it's one of its intended purposes. It really we, is. We know we've talked a lot about that, and I mean, it's going to be something that people are going to do with it, mm-hmm. and we hope that they find a way to, you know, tell the story of these objects, the relationship to themselves, their family, everything else, and then let them go. Yeah, it's it, so it, there's good a decluttering aspect yeah. to it. You know, absolutely. You know, I, I have the same thing and I mentioned this, so I won't go, but you know, a garage full of stuff and you and I actually talked last time. I think we were together cause mm-hmm. both my parents passed and same thing, you know, it's like, 
you know, can I just take a picture of it, put yeah. a little story to it, you know? And this is why go, this right? is why I prefer not calling it an app. I call it a tool. But it, it's right. an app that's a tool. But it's so funny because you just you just went through all of the various rigmarole that it took to do that in the past that right. cell phones have managed to solve. Like, oh, do you want to take a really nice video? Mm-hmm. My cell phone takes great videos. Would you like to take some pictures? Oh, this thing takes great pictures. Would you like to geolocate this house so we know where it's from? Oh, sure, it does that really well. You want to put it into the cloud? Sure. I can, I'm hooked right up right now. I'm on the internet right now. Sure, sure. Type yeah. of story? Yeah. You want to record an audio? No, a lot of that, a lot of our process happened pre, pre-cell phone with all those capabilities. Yes. Right. It I may think. still have been digital. Yeah. And it right. may, may digital still... Digital camera. Yep. May we still... Talking, you might have had to plug the camera into the computer, download the photos, or put Yeah, it and then where do you put or, them? Or maybe you have a little chip still. Yeah, where do you put them? Yeah, yeah. right. So it's it's really the advent of the all of the Jim loves the word bundling of those technologies into one device mm-hmm. that allows you to for the app to even exist, for the tool to exist to do that in a different way. This tool had to be built first, and then we built a secondary use for this tool. Right. So, all right, you two, we have managed thirty minutes. Let's take a quick break. All right. Thank you for listening. I can't believe you've made it halfway through already. I'm sure you can't believe it as well. Uh, If you are not a family member of mine or Jim or Sarah's, uh, that's even more impressive that you've stuck with us this long. Uh, Don't forget to visit our website, www.andalin.app, or uh, if you're interested in the institutional version you can always check out kineticlegacy.us too anyway thanks for listening we'll start with the second half old and crusty anyway we're back we are back back hey (laughs) yep uh patrick what's your last name again Pryor. Pryor. like richard Pryor. like richard Pryor. yep um, so and Patrick, where can people find your stuff? Now, oh, let's just let's just this do a is quick what we one. should do for well, people. We, yeah, well, yeah. So you have your own website, but you also have your own gallery, right? So the name of the gallery, the, gal- the gallery is the Coleman and Pryor Gallery. Mm-hmm. Is it yeah. your own then? I work with Anita Coleman. She's my uh, business partner. Uh, yep. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, we've been in operation one form or another for eight years yeah. as the actual Coleman and Pryor Gallery for six years. Okay. We've been in the Northrop King building, not too far from here. Right. Mm-hmm. And it has been an amazing journey. Yeah. Just and it's a great gallery. Uh, it's a great asset to the city, too. Is it? Oh, it really uh, is. It's it's quite wonderful. I mean, well, is it like of it, what kind of art? We have a variety of artists. We have... Um, uh, Betsy Byers, who is a professor at um, uh, Gustavus Adolphus. Mm-hmm. She's an amazing painter. Uh, we work with Jill Evans, another amazing painter. Jody Reeb is a painter. Mm-hmm. We have Cameron Zebrin, who is um, recently retired from the Walker Art Center. He was in charge of all the installation and exhibition stuff, all the building. Uh, he's a sculptor. We have Kate Casanova who recently took a position in, at the University of Denver as the head of their sculpture department. And she does these uh, amazing and weird yeah. sculptures yep. of, of materials and uh, very much related to the natural world and to the body. And then we have Kelly Jean Ohl, who does uh, some ceramic work. Uh, Danny Sadoff, who recently did a big commission of like 25 um, Zeppelins, Airships okay. in uh, the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport. Okay. And, like, uh, I'm, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm probably forgetting somebody right now. Um, uh, it's never good. Yeah. It, it'll come to you. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so, so <laughs> we've had we've had Or you people, just need your menu part yeah, no, we've bar had, on your own. We've, we've had people come and go. You came up with that all go. from memory, though. That's and, and it's always been an amazing roster of artists. Yeah. I mean, including myself. You know, I, yep. I have shown mm-hmm. my work there as well. Right. Okay, right. so yep. I, I'm asking these questions as a complete outsider and, and sure. entire novice. Like, this is not my world. So, like... 
it is your world. No, I it's mean, not. Well, only since I've met you have I been getting yeah, and into we've been it. friends and I, for a long time. So you, like, so. But you, I appreciate whether it. you like it or not, you're in. No, no, okay? I feel in. Like you're. you, I feel you go in. to the shows at the MIA. You, I do. You know, you. We have all kinds of. You know, we just had a big conversation about some bullshit, Damien Hurst shit. You know, yeah, I mean, but you're I don't. In, you know, so I don't think you can say. You're out. Anymore. Well, <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm kind of a novice to the to the whole like gallery thing. The only thing I know is like circa because it, that's a, like I haven't been to other people's galleries in town. It's just not. Yeah. Well, except for the Bulkley Gallery, I guess. Been yeah, there. and you yeah, worked yeah. with Todd too. So, yeah, yeah. So where does this <laughs> where does this fit? Like like how many galleries are there in Minneapolis roughly? That's a great question. I have no idea, but okay, they, it's, it seems to be becoming a smaller number every uh, year. I would agree with that. Yeah, and right? and the I artists mean, generally, like if it if if the gallery is in Minneapolis, the artist is going to be relatively local generally, or have started no, out here. No, maybe? not necessarily. Okay, not necessarily. so you'll seek out. I think artists every every gallery has their different different kind of a roster that uh, they show you know some so some there's sort of a national artists and some really focus on local like we do the coleman and Pryor gallery tends to like to work with local artists sure and is it i mean is there generally sort of a theme that a client who might go to your gallery kind of knows you take on certain types of artists who work in a certain way or is it all over the place it's it's interesting i mean you know we're a little bit all over the place what we show tends to be rather diverse okay so you know for the most part people know that they can come to our our gallery and they can find something for their home yeah it's something that's going to fit with what they've got going on so it's not like a 20 by 30 something no and and oftentimes we present work that that challenges really people's conceptions of what art is or what could they could exhibit in their home yeah and we like that yeah for you know, sure. We don't focus just on painting. We don't just focus on decor type things. Mm-hmm. We show a, a wide range. Right now we've got the red show, which is, you know, mostly painting, focusing on red. Yep. Um, we also, we you know, we have these little um, little red books that Jody Reeb painted on yep. and is embedding images of, of plants. Uh, and then the next show that we have is uh, a portrait show where we're really showing work that we don't usually show. Right. So a very di- diverse group of, of people approaching portraiture from yeah. very different You've ways. You've done quite a bit of stuff. I mean, I remember I, what was it? The art cycle, art up cycle. The art up cycle. That was an we, interesting. Show. We had people, you know, we're keeping bad art off the streets. Yeah, that's right. That's keeping what we're doing. Bad art keeping the bad art off the streets. <laughs> it's like the gun buyback programs. Okay. Was it? Were there roving bands of bad art going around? Oh God! Kicking people's butts all over the place. There's a lot of bad art out there. Yeah, and that's you, so you're so like, like. Not that this would exist in my house, but let's say it did. Like you, like if I bought something at Pottery Barn that that we passed off as art, you, you could, like the gun buyback problem. You'd say I'd give you a dollar for it. Yeah, you yeah. give me a buck for it, and you'd say next time don't buy crappy art, kid. And, and then we gave it to our artists who participated in the program, and they that was me. And they was that one of the things that, that you was had? that piece that was on I the wall. I love that piece. I know everyone did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, I sold it too. Eventually. Nice work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you'd take the bad art and you'd recycle and it and you'd recycle it. it. Oh, it I love it. It was such a fun show. Yeah. That was a fun, fun show. Fun that was thing. really cool. And we had some people that did a really great job. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. did, a, you oh. did a great job. Um, that was a Eric, great... Eric Benson did an yeah. amazing God, job on his he pieces. killed it. He really did. Wow. Well, and it, it goes back to, like, this is something we've joked about before, but, like, I, I imagine if people from other countries are coming to our country... And, the, and you walk them through Home Depot, and they look at they look at the palette of cheap two dollar flashlights, just one after another, and they they've got to be like, how damn dark is it in America? Like, why do they need why do they need so many flashlights? And somewhere in China, there's a factory where they're like, I don't know, America needs seven trillion flashlights this year. Evidently, it's like they don't have lights there, and then all of those things just end up in the trash anyway, eventually. Right. And it's the same thing with like the, it, to get not to dwell on the Andalin thing, but like for me, like when we do work on someone's home or when I see an object like that, like I think what a shame 
that this poor thing didn't deserve, like I personify the object itself mm -hmm. and think this object didn't need to be born to a life of nothingness and then tossed into the trash before anything even happened to it. So if you take that, if you take the, the crappy $15 frame with the crappy fake art in it that got mass produced somewhere and you make something of it, at least you've repurposed that for enjoyment. For Jeez, there's, there's quite an analogy here, the Duchamp-esque, you know, I mean, which is, mm -hmm. you know, where he takes the urinal and places it on the wall in the museum and it becomes a piece of art, you right, know? Right, sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's which amazing. is interesting because there is that aspect to sort of the Andalin thing where you take your, your object and you put it on a pedestal. I mean, yeah, you, I mean... You, you, I just think we should, hmm, if we no, want to live a more purposeful life, we should live around objects of more purpose. Right. Fewer of them mm -hmm. and, and many more of them having at least us giving them the reverence they deserve. They're of the earth. We've created them. We're destroying our planet by shipping them all over the place and screwing everything up. And why aren't we, why aren't we at least treating them and ourselves by extension with a little bit of respect? Yeah. yeah, God, and it's so fun when we come across an object that we do revere and we put on a pedestal and, and we mm -hmm. give it this sort of status. I have this little like mid-century brass owl that I that <laughs> that is that for me. Like there was this, yeah. there was a set of three, and I just have one on my bedside table, and I just love that owl. It's yeah. just so awesome. Right. You know, it's it's been around for a while. It's been handled. It's it's got a little corrosion by its ear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's this. It's this everyday object. I right. mean, they were they were sort of mass produced. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Totally, because you probably know what I'm talking about. I, you know, like I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about because there's a there's a little store by our house in South Minneapolis. It's like the bookseller lady or whatever. But it, it's it's jam packed. She just recently died, unfortunately. But it's just jam packed with that mass produced 1950s. But those things are made of brass. <laughs> like I bought a brass unicorn for twelve bucks that I just thought was like. God, if I could know the history of that, like, yeah. what what life did this super heavy, super kick-ass little brass right. unicorn that no one wants, it's only, it's 12 bucks, you mm -hmm. know? And it's been around for 60, 70 years? Like, I just, I, yeah. I always think that's kind of cool. So, yeah. that's interesting because it kind of leads me into something here. And, and I want to ask you, like, and it's something we kind of talked about the last time we were together, but, you know, thinking of legacy, what you leave behind, right? For, yeah. for you, Patrick, as an artist, you know, and for those that don't know, I mean, you, maybe we should start. I mean, you've done quite a few commissions around town. Mm -hmm. So you have really large scale sculptures in um, sort of uh, condo developments that are purchased. You have large scale paintings in some more so like of a building. areas, but then you also have your personal work. I mean, do you, ever think about that i mean you you have a legacy here in minnesota like i mean there are things that are going to you know live past you right or at least you know i mean you have no you're, you're accurate in yeah. saying that there there are yeah. definitely there are definitely paintings of yours that are going to live past your right. physical lifetime there's definitely works of art that you've created patrick that are going to live past your lifetime and things yeah. that i hope to have built right that that will live past my lifetime. Yeah. So, so what's your feeling about sort of your legacy? You know that you, you know, or do you think about it? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't have kids, right. I don't, so I don't have that kind of legacy. I have my work, mm -hmm. and God, I I think that I think that I, I feel super honored to be able to have the possibility of leaving a legacy. Right. You know, like, like it's, it's, I think it's, that's fair. it's an important part of being an artist to know that you may be appreciated well beyond your lifetime. Yeah. And, you know, the, the amount of artists that actually uh, have any kind of name recognition beyond their own lives right. is pretty, pretty small. It, so, very small. so I have no, um, you know, I have no like delusion of being, you know, having you don't a, have great, a, big ego a great legacy, but. You know, if somebody remembers me, like I'll be very, very happy. I, I you know, I talk with Nick Lagueros quite a bit. He's mm -hmm. he's my sculptor mentor. His studio is is right out here. We can see his place out the window, and uh, you know, he often talks about his own legacy because he works in bronze. So like those things, his works aren't going anywhere. No, right? they're sticking like, around for a while. Like they're sticking around for a long time. Like, 
you know, until they get right. melted like down forever. If, if yeah. not, like yeah. they are, they, you know, so my paintings will be long gone by the time these bronze statues. Uh, sure. Are, well, are, not necessarily. Know. I mean, so, you know, so, I mean, so when know, I, when I think of legacy, a museum I, exists, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But it takes museums to preserve certain objects, but it any, does. any, anyway, it really does. It really so does. So you do you know, think about this stuff. I do think about it. And I had a, uh, a client recently bring back a painting of mine that. Just making sure you're getting. What? Nothing. Yeah, I got everybody on here. Okay. Yeah, you had a client bring back. Who, who bought a painting of mine in 2006. And uh, she's moving to a houseboat. No, not a I keep saying houseboat. To a right. catamaran. A huge catamaran. She's okay. traveling. That is really she's gonna spend, way better she's than a houseboat. I don't remember exactly what they told me. I mean, I was just so in awe of their adventure because they sold the hobby farm. They mm-hmm. sold all their possessions, including this painting, which was, it seemed maybe hard for her to get rid of. And she wanted to come back to me so I could find a good home for it. Yeah. She said, we're moving to the, to the catamaran. We're going to spend maybe some time in the Caribbean. Uh, we're going to go through Panama. We're going to get to um, uh, we're going to get to New Zealand. Maybe spend a year there. Right. And they've got this whole you know several year plan uh, to be living Is this on a boat. A thing? Go so, ahead. I want to so, let you finish. I mean, it's, really it's their thing. I mean, I've had I've heard a I've, couple people. One of the know, investors give everything in the up company. And do it. Yeah, yeah, one of the investors in the company who's a good friend of mine. Yeah. She's doing the same thing. What ultimate freedom <laughs> from so what awesome. ultimate freedom from your stuff? And, and <laughs> totally. And, and well, a complete... there was a big article in the Times about this too. Yeah. Sure. You're exactly right though. Yeah. So, but you know, but this object was important to her. So, so I right. got it now, and I'm able to sort of connect with my legacy of a few years ago, right. from 2006. Yeah. And I was able to post it on Facebook, and and people were, were it was this wonderful moment. I, I know. It so, well. so I got yeah, to I it. So, that. so when I think of legacy, I think of this moment where yeah. I put it on Facebook, and all these people are responding to that particular series, that particular time in their lives that they remember seeing that painting and other paintings like it and right. being in my studio and attending openings and receptions and parties right. around that time. And, yeah. and like, like I really appreciate that. Like I almost yeah. care more for that kind of a sure. experience and that kind of memory more than the legacy of when I pass because I won't be around to enjoy that so much. You won't. Fair enough. But, but what I think is interesting is that you know how th- your work will be handed down you know what i mean i can only hope I well can only hope oh, that, that no, it no, will it, continue it, to be appreciated I mean, I, I mean i think that even goes to where we were talking about you know how do you i mean how do you live with art you know people that actually live with art you know like well you know it's it's something that's handed down and then so name recognition or no right doesn't right? It, doesn't it, necessarily it doesn't really matter all uh-huh. that much if if there's a piece of art on the wall in someone's home and it was made in a factory or a you know or like those the starving artists kind of paint oh, yeah. a bazillion of them and they're all out mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. yep. they that does not generally elicit an emotional response from anyone in the family but if there is a piece of art whether well done or not made by some local artist who was a friend of theirs or you know whatever that that will get saved people right. people like we do work in people's homes all the time where they're cleaning it out getting ready to destroy the you know it's time to tear down the house mm-hmm. if it's junk that came from target it goes over right. in this pile even if it's maybe something that i wouldn't not recognize as good art but it was made by someone <laughs> locally and their friend it's getting saved and it's right. going somewhere right you know that's an interesting thing though because i remember my aunt my aunt clara and this is puts me back in like seven years old right and i would go over to her house and they had a painting of a ship like in a storm that was in their living room i remember it because mm-hmm. i would stare at it all the time i'd be like wow look at that that looks cool but if you ask me was it a real painting or was it a print Right. I, what what exactly it was, I don't actually know, but I remember the image. Yeah. You know, and that still sticks with me. I'm like, and I still think like, God, I wonder whatever happened to that, and it probably right. just got tossed. I, I provided it could provided be, it wasn't a you know if it was a print or something, then people just don't value I those. Can't things imagine in the same that way. it was real, but maybe it was. Maybe it was like a starving artist painting where they kind of it was half print and they swung by with a couple. Swipes <laughs> yeah. of the old paint, yeah, on it, you know. But 
But I, those have lasting, you know, it's images. Well, I you keep know? stealing your art when you're not looking. Yeah, I know. Because I'm just kidding. He's hey, I've got three of his porks in my house. He does. I actually stole so some. I. Like, so do I. Three or four. Every day I see I see Jim's work and I think like I am so God, fucking I'm, lucky. I'm so glad that I get I to stare this. at this. You know, uh, I've got front one from his Cy Twombly yeah, phase. I, I, I love it. Burdened yeah. with it now. Yeah. I absolutely love it. No, it, I I love it. Like it, you're the biggest piece that I have occupies the space right as you walk through the door it's the first thing you see i sit in that room and i listen to music and i play with my kids all the time yeah mm-hmm. and it gives me no end of pleasure honestly I'll, I'll get a little misty when i say this it really does <laughs> right to have that work sitting right behind me and know that you created it right and i find tons of beauty in it yeah. like i don't know if i don't know if it honestly I'm not an art critic, you know? I don't know if it's the best work of art there ever was or isn't. Or it doesn't matter to me. I love it. Right. So, and, it, it, and I know, like, now my kids will, will have lived their youth with it, right? Right. They'll be like... So someday... Blue painting. Well, no, no one in my family is going to get rid of it. Because right. they're going to be like, well, no, that's always been a part of my life. So this is why I value, I value taking at least some time to recognize which objects you spend time with need to be have a soul right like, and there's a lot of objects that don't have a soul right and that's fine i don't need right i don't need to worry about whether you know you're you're taken care of or not when it's a jar of peanut butter or something <laughs> like it's okay eat the peanut butter throw the jar away it's okay right if that's the way it works yeah but some <laughs> of the objects that we live with like oh no i'm i'm I've been entrusted with your care. I'll take good care of you. That reminds me. My father had this had this uh, this skull that he had found on the beach in Mexico, and he was you like know, a human skull. It was not a human skull. <laughs> yeah, that's what <laughs> I was. I got to throw a like, joke in every now and again. Shit. It's stupid, but Pirate. I got to do it. I got to do it. <laughs> he was a bit of a bone collector. Yeah, and he inspired me to be kind of a bit of a bone collector. Yeah. you know things yeah. you find. Bones are right. really cool, though. They're so cool, especially when they've been on the beach and bleached by the oh, sun. Oh yeah. yeah, and they just have this texture and this color that that nothing else has. And it was one of those things where he would show it to me as a young child, right? Uh-huh. I was like seven, and he would had this like little like little box, like a like a jewelry box or something, this cardboard box with tissue, and he'd open it up, in in the basement. <laughs> yeah, like he kept it in like the laundry room because your mother right. at some point your mom was like, I don't want that thing around. I, That's what happens in my house. Anyway. No, 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 no. She no? was totally. She was in on the whole. Oh, oh she, she was. was she was stuff. in on the whole. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, she bought me a horse skull at a garage sale okay. once. So she was totally all about it. That's like, she was cool. kind of a weirdo as well. That's cool. So That's both my cool. parents were supporting this. This, you know, they they they're like, oh, the kid likes bones, and so whenever they find <laughs> something that was unusual, you know, you know, frogs and formaldehyde or or whatever, you know, they give it to me. And I, I had feel this, like bones are pretty fascinating. Had this whole collection. Kids. Yeah. yeah. So, so every year, like he would take it out and show it to me at some point in the laundry room. It was the weirdest thing. Like, yeah. I guess he just had like, he's had, he had some sort of keepsake box right. yeah. in the cabinet in the laundry room. And so, so he put it out and set it on the dryer and open it up. And I, you know, I was about as tall as the dryer. I'd peek at it. And, and like every year it was like, I'll give it to you next year when you're, when you're eight or when you're nine. <laughs> right. And then when, when you're I 10. Think, when I think you will break it. And then finally when I was 11. Right, oh, I got it. You know, do you he, still he have it? Oh, absolutely, I still have it. it does, and this yeah. is one of these these legacy items that I could right. never get rid of. And for for and can like, you explain the value of it? No. Oh my God, not it really. Is the most it is one of the most valuable. I mean, he's yeah. given me other bones too. Like yeah. I can, you know, right? I can. They're like like the astragalus or ankle bone of a cow that he found in Nevada when he was eight. I still have it. Yeah. You know, he found me a, a raccoon jawbone when stuff. I was like seven or eight or nine and he gave it to me and it's all like burnished and polished from me handling it so much. Right. Uh, but this particular thing, he always thought it was like a, a sea turtle skull. Uh huh. Turns out is that there's this, there's these r- massive rodents in like Central America called pacas. Okay. It's like not, a nutria or something. It's like so, a nutria yeah. or a capybara. Yeah. This is a paca. Okay. So I finally one day figured that out, but <laughs> but but yeah, that's cool. awesome though. Patrick, I mean, that's so cool. This is why was, I love talking so in this cool. format because because you get to talk about the weird stuff that 
happens in life that you don't yeah. think of very he, often. He this is what this, happens when you think of life magic and legacy. Moment. Like, yeah. like he was one of the first people to take people to Cancun before Cancun was a thing. This is in the '60s, right? right? And so it's connected to this whole time and place, the right, legacy yeah. of Cancun, and now what what it's become. But at the time, like he had to take a jeep there, and like it was like not built up at all, right? And he found this skull on a beach, and it was like so important to him yeah. Yeah, that he would show that. it to me every year. You know, like, oh, too fragile. You got to be responsible. <laughs> you got to be older. Think about that too. I mean, those are the days when I mean, you know, you get on an airplane, light a smoke, and it's like, I mean, you're just like going to Cancun and nobody else is going to Cancun. God, nobody else is going to Cancun. I mean, that is a, that is Twin a turbo real, props. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you are exploring. Just like when my parents met in Tahiti, <laughs> like it was the first time like a big 747 had gone to Tahiti from LA and in fact, he was the tour operator who made the decision that it was that it was like more efficient and cost effective to fly from L.A. to Papiete and stay there with the whole plane, the crew, the pilot for a week, and oh then God. and then fly everybody back after a week. So God, so everybody funny. got a vacation. All the right. so my mother was one of the stewardesses on the plane. Yeah, that's how that, that's how that all happened. That's how it all came down. Yeah, but yeah, that's but different different story. times, really God, different times. Really yeah, very different times. And you know they. I mean, make no mistake it's about I it. I dream of genie times is what I oh, think Oh, God, of, totally. You know? But they will look I back at... Right. They yeah. will look back at these times, and these will be someone's sweet, you know, rose-colored memory as well. Like, that's just the way it works. There's right. always... This is someone's good old days. Right now, we're living it. Maybe our own. It's yeah. our own good old days. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when we had that I podcast? Kinda, and I kind of feel like the... I <laughs> yeah. feel like the 90s. Like, I feel like... I don't think you and I wasted much of our, you know, 20s no. or 30s doing anything we didn't want to do. No, I didn't you waste know, a I minute. I don't know where you were at with that. Not a second. Yeah. yeah. It was wasted. Yeah. Besides yeah. sleeping, and I did not like to sleep. No. No, nor did I. And I feel like mm-hmm. I, you know, I I pursued every, every, not every, but I pursued all, most of the whims that I that I had. I pursued them. Maybe there's a few left. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Pursued no, the whims. Well, I'm just saying. That's like, funny. no, I traveled. I, 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 if, if, you know, I ended up in Azerbaijan. Yeah. I ended up in Germany. I ended up living all over the country. You like, if, if something came up, if there was an opportunity for me to work somewhere, it's like, yeah, screw it, I'll go. Awesome. Yeah, but it was all fun. Good, yeah. good times. Well, um, man, what there were a couple of things. You guys go ahead and talk. I'm, I'm losing my train of thought, but there were a couple of things in there that <laughs> he's I in Azerbaijan. To, I am. I'm, I'm off in distant <laughs> lands. See how he kind of slows down and then ramps back up because oh, I'm kind of losing. Well, you know, there's another. <laughs> it's kind of like Jim and I have worked together too long. <laughs> I do love all this art in here. This is you. You have made the most uh, thievable series of artworks here by their size and stuff. Like this is just yeah. Apparently, yeah, kind of throw it under your shirt. Have you been having work. pieces stolen from your studio? I wouldn't know. I don't keep track. But yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. Like if I stop over at his house, I've got I'll a big coat. Pieces. What's that over there? Can I distract you for a moment? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So. Patrick, what's your, what's, let's just, we got to remember we're doing a podcast. Yeah. So what is your latest sort of piece or what are you working on right now? What's, what's, what's inspiring you right now? Actually, let over, me over the course, you know, when God, I first such an artisty thing to say, well, it is, but it's a good one. No, it works. It works. I'd say I'm going back to the things that inspired me when I first started that, that, that uneducated young man reacting to impulses reacting to compulsions and just doing what came out i'm i'm exploring that place again yeah that's why i was kind of like you know like having that feeling of like well what have i learned i'm i'm kind of doing yeah right I'm, I'm maybe going, i've learned nothing maybe i've learned nothing but but i you know but i've learned a lot but at the same time i'm going back to these these important gestures these uh, ways of moving my hand, you know, with the brush and paint on the canvas, and at the same time, kind of challenging them a little bit, but at the same time, trying to tap into those intuitive moments, those right. intuitive movements, and of all the different ways that I've explored painting, this one remains the most interesting to me and the most because it's like, the most exciting. Sexual. It's, it's your gut. I, I just love that. I love the like, the like, not thinking so much about 
right. the content of the work, but really focusing on the intuitive form doing. That, that comes out, the doing, the action. Yep. Like, like I just painted like this painting yesterday. Um, I mean, I've been working on it over the course of several months, but it was like, you know, do a few gestures, let it sit, do a few more gestures, let it sit. And then just yesterday, I did a few more gestures on it. And I, I absolutely love this thing. Like it is like, I am in love with this painting. It's balanced. And, and that, yeah. that, that feeling of being in love with a painting is such a wonderful thing. Right. So, uh, so, so that's the current direction is, is very loose, very gestural. Yep. Um, it's a little bit related to work that I did when I first started and work like in 2006 that was, you know, based heavily upon drawing and line work. Right. You know, that, that sort of that black line. And, yep. Yep. background and so so we'll see where this ends up I'm, I'm kind of at the the very beginning of a new series right and i've got about seven or eight paintings that are somewhat nearing completion somewhat so you're working on multiple pieces at the same time i work on multiple pieces at the same time so that i can yeah. so that i can follow my whim you know like if something right. interests me in a painting i can kind of follow it on that painting and then i can you know pick up the brush and and then maybe Take to the take what's 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 turning me on on that painting and do it on another painting. Yep. And then and then after a while, then I'll kind of find my way. I feel right. like I have to get some things out of the way too. You know, maybe right. maybe something I have to get out of my system and so you know, set it aside. Better at that when you were I. Were you better at that when you were younger or or? I think of like we. Yeah. You know, I always worked with kids, mm-hmm. and I worked at a boys' camp for fifteen years and. I watched all of these kids grow up and and even now we're trying to hire some younger staff to come in and help us with things and I I sort of think like I I can't really give anyone any advice because if you're talking to a kid you like so much of it just doesn't work or it doesn't stick it's like well thanks a lot old guy but I'm going to go and do my own thing and you sort of want them to just know that they should do their own thing like right. well, they should trust their own instincts. yeah like yeah. Well, like, yeah. like you guys did not go to school to become artists you went to school to because you had to go to school because that's the way it worked had to do something yep and then you ended up being artists and i and so i look at them and they're like you know well i'm gonna go to school and do this and like why don't you just go live and you yeah going to school is part of that but just go to school learn whatever you learn but don't assume that you got to get out of school and do exactly what you then went to school for. You just you're you're there to grow up and experience stuff, and and then you get to be our age, and and people are like, ah, I'm so set in my ways. It's all you know. I'm I'm not challenging myself in those well, ways. And like you know, as as a as where I am now, if I were to give advice to my young artist self, yeah, it would probably be the same as the advice I would give to my current yes. self from my younger self which would be the same advice that you would give to your your young staff people right. which is hey don't worry about it trust your instincts you know yeah get in there don't and be just afraid to screw up give it everything you've got it's all cool don't be afraid to screw up just do yeah. it do yeah. the thing it's okay it's like, it's, it certainly applies to me take a risk yeah well take all a risk it. yeah take a risk and and how yeah. big of a risk are any of the risks we ever take anyway like come on you know, we're yeah. we're gonna all gonna fall back into kind of the safety net of, and it's not. I get that life isn't easy for everybody. I know that. I'm not trying to sure. poo-poo the sure, the difficult the, nature of life. Yeah, but, but the, right. the you know the risks that Jim and I take on the canvas are so. They're risks that don't have a great impact on anywhere else except that canvas. Yeah. Well, and you know our, um, you know, bank budget. <laughs> you know, paint, so many paint, paints expensive. Oh, I know, but so many of the risks that I've taken as a painter, you know, ha- they have they have been paintings and works that, you know, I considered it a risk. But there's been so many times where people fell in love with those pieces. I know, right? Sometimes that the biggest risk is absolutely. Also the Sometimes payoff. my yeah. my least my works that I considered least important or I considered to be just sort of off the cuff and right and, and not a significant piece at all has found you know a very you know a Good. very special home yeah and somebody f- f- has fallen in love with it and you know eh, it's an important piece for them so that's because people like things that people actually do mm-hmm. right they, they take the time to yeah. make something yep you, someone's gonna fall in love with it not everyone doesn't have to be everyone 
Well, we talk so much about that too, you know, with handmade goods. I mean, this is what we've been yeah. talking about. I mean, this part it's, of the company. It's our big push. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. Locally made, all of that. Yep. Well, you two, uh, I think we, we have killed, managed to kill a little over a total hour of conversation. So, Patrick, um, this has been really fun. It's been so much fun for me. It's great. Thanks yeah, for very coming. I assume we're going to get you in here again someday. You can come by anytime. anytime. I would love to come and tell you random stories from the past. Yeah. That's, all right. That's so once again, about. let's put the gallery down. How can people find you? They can find me two different places at the Coleman Pryor Gallery.com or Patrick Pryor.com. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, Patrick, great thanks. job, you guys. Thank thanks you. for having me. I appreciate all right. it. It's been right. a lot of fun. Bye. Bye. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We love comments and feedback, so go ahead and let us have it. If you'd like to learn more about Andalin and other legacy projects, visit the website at andalin.app or kineticlegacy.us. Take care.